Hi everyone and welcome to the Transfer News Central podcast. I am James, your host. Welcome to this show. And I've got a special edition today. Um, I'm absolutely honoured to be interviewing Dominic King, who's a football journalist with the Daily Mail. Uh, welcome to the show, Dominic. Thank you, James. Pleasure to be with you. Um, and how are you doing with uh, the lockdown and everything like that? Uh, well, it's it's um, it's been a challenge, but it's been interesting. I won't say enjoyable. That's 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 the wrong word. But it's been um, it's been a, a fascinating challenge to get news and to uh, to get the, to see the paper coming out every day, given that there hasn't been um, a ball kicked in anger for for the best part of four weeks. So um, yeah, it's been it, it it has been it has been busy because where there's uncertainty and where there's you know times of crisis, there's there's always news. So there's so in that respect, it's been. It's been healthy for us in terms of work-wise, but obviously it's a it's a horrendous situation that we're we're all in. And you know, I, I know I'm probably saying something quite obvious, but the quicker we can get out of it, the better. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and yeah, just um, also to listeners, hope you're all keeping safe and well, um, taking care of yourselves and isolating. Because yeah, absolutely, we want to get through this as quickly as we can. You know, and, and from a football perspective, obviously we want to get the football to football back as quickly as we can as well um, because uh, there's a lot of people who are missing football. Obviously, that's not the priority right now, <laughs> just, just, just to be clear about that. But, but um, it, you know, it will be nice when football can come back. Of course, of course. I mean, you know, football's the... Uh, speaking to somebody about it today, you know, and it's football's that, that thing that gives us all a bit of release, a bit of... Uh, the, the last few weeks has just sort of um, emphasised how much a role football and sport, for that matter, has has in everybody's life, and, and how kind of important it is. You know that 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 thing you look forward to at the weekend. That's what it's all about. It is, yeah. Uh, as a football fan myself, I you know I miss that. I miss going down the pub to to watch to watch my team play, and you know you miss all the build up and all the, inter- the pre match interviews and all the you know the press conferences and things. It's just so we'll get it back eventually, I'm sure. So. Tell us a bit about your own kind of your, your career as a journalist and how you got into kind of football journalism. I grew up in in West Derby, not far from Liverpool's training ground. I was never going to be able to be good enough to get into play there or for Everton for that matter. It was um, two left feet. So, but I always wanted the. I always thought the next best thing would be reporting on it. So um, it was me. It was me, me. My life's ambition really to get into sports journalism and football and writing about football. So when I was 20, I wrote to all the newspapers in the Northwest and uh, asking for work experience while I was at university. And the only people that gave me a reply were the Manchester Evening News. So I went up there in November 1998 and it was a brilliant time to go there because, I mean, even though Man City were in the in second division, it was, yeah, it was the second division then it was called, wasn't it? Is, um, yes. what, is, what is now yes. League One. They, they were a brilliant story because Joe, Joe Royal, was you know trying to build them out, get get them back out of the division, and obviously Manchester United were um, reaching their peak under Sir Alex Ferguson. Was certainly that you know the the Beckham Giggs uh, Scholes team. Yeah. So it was a, it was an amazing place to sort of um, get an opportunity to go and work. And um, as, I, as I said, I arrived in 1998, and I eventually ended up leaving in 2005. I worked my way all the way up through and um, doing amateur sport. Swimming, hockey, netball, anything, anything really to get my name in the the midweek paper. It was an amateur paper, and then you know they obviously saw something, or they got you know they got sick of telling me no, and just allowed me to stay. 
Fantastic. That's a great story. And to, yeah, like you say, to be in Manchester around that time was You know, you know what was what was so brilliant about it was it was um, that the the staff that they had there they were all they'd all had national newspaper experience or they'd all they were real top operators. Um, I mean, you know, to, to name a few, Richard Frost, who, who covered Bolton for them. He'd been Northern Sports Editor for the Mirror. Pete Spencer was the sports editor who gave me the chance. Chris Bailey was the Manchester City reporter. Paul Hintz was the chief sports writer. Stu Matheson, fabulous on, on, on Manchester United. And so many other people who I owe so much to. Neil Barker, who covered... Wigan and Rugby League, you know, Stuart Brennan, who's now covering Manchester City, they were all fabulous people to work with, you know, helped a young lad, you know, understand the, how to get a paper out, how to get a story and whatnot. And it was, we used to go in on a Monday morning with 24 pages to do at six o'clock and then by 10 o'clock, the first edition would be on the streets and it was to see everybody work and, you know, given it was the, the one thing they wanted to do. What do you think the key qualities are of like a football journalist? Well, I mean, I know things have changed. The digital age has obviously had, a, had an impact on local newspapers and they've become predominantly about websites now. But I don't think the the art of actually being a reporter, of of, of being of having perseverance, uh, of have, being able to build contacts and build a trust with people, having a desire to be accurate, First with the news, I don't think that will ever change. Even though you know, as I said, the traditional local evening paper doesn't sort of have the, the place that it once used to. But the qualities that that get you there uh, should never, ever, ever be forgotten. You know, it's, it's hugely important to be accurate. It's, there's no point being first if you're wrong. You have to, yeah. you have to be right. You have to be right if your if your name's going on a, a news article or an interview. You have to be absolutely sure because you're the one. You know, you you have the paper's reputation. You have your own reputation on your shoulders, and you have to um, you have to adhere to it. Absolutely, yeah. There is that. There's always that kind of challenge because, I guess, as a journalist, you want to be first if you can, but also you want to be accurate for exactly all the reasons that you just you just said. You know, because you want to build a reputation. You want to be trusted. You want your your paper, your publication, to be trusted. Um, you know, and there's reputations on the line and everything. So it's there must be a big challenge to get it both to try and get it accurate and to be first as well. Oh, I, I, absolutely! Accuracy, accuracy is the the thing that the the can't or the elements of, of journalism that, that can't be um, ever forgotten. Um, I mean, you know, in this age now, you sort of see people who who want to get a tweet out as quickly as they can, um, or you know, just to get likes and retweets or whatever mm-hmm. um and you sometimes wonder whether they've they've put the amount of calls in that that they should have done or i would i would rather as i said i would rather be six or seven with the so long as i had the absolutely right detail about everything than than punching out something first in haste um for it not to be for it not to be right yeah absolutely absolutely yeah uh, and I, I, you know, someone who's, who's done a bit of writing myself and a bit of podcasting and kind of broadcast stuff as well. It's absolutely vital for me to be accurate rather than first. I think it's, I think, for just for integrity. 
the journalists yeah. I trust. I mean, well, you're one of the ones that I trust the most. Because the one, the ones who prioritise accuracy over being first, because accuracy is more important. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, so what's? I mean, so obviously you're kind of. I'm, I'm guessing you're kind of. If you're born near the Liverpool training ground, you're kind of Liverpool. Is your club? Is that? Is that right? It, yeah, it, it, yeah. Liverpool Army Club, but that, that's one of the things that um, I've, I've had to sort of. Um, it just just because you support a team, it, it doesn't. It does That's not question, affect yeah. your ability, uh, your ability to to write critically or supportively about somebody else. Or you know, you, you, you have Absolutely. impartiality is the is, is a key word. You have to do. It. I covered Everton for four years, five years at, at the Liverpool Echo. When I left the Manchester Evening News, I went to the, I went to the Echo. I covered Everton for five years, and they were an absolute joy to be around at that time. David Moyes was the manager. I used to go and see him every morning at the training ground. Had great relationships with with a lot of that squad: Lee Carsley, Nigel Martin, David Weir, Phil Neville, Leon Osman, Tony Hibbert. You know, real proper good lads. Yeah. And you know, there was there'd be banter. I remember. I remember when David Moyes found out there was a Liverpool fan, and you know, he was you know, in all in good heart, threatening not to let me into the, the training ground. It was the day before a derby, and then Everton won three 0 the day after. And he loved, he loved, he loved having a laugh about it, you know. Well, it, 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 honestly, it really does not matter who who I support. I'm there to do a job. It's what it's what I've always wanted to do. It's what I've always wanted to do. I mean, that's that was going to be my question. That was kind of leading into like that. You know, how how do you stay objective? You know, as a, obviously well, as, a, as a supporter, how do you manage to stay that well, objective when you're reporting? Well, inbuilt biases. That must be difficult. Well, you, you know, in this in this day and age. There's that many people watching you in press boxes. There's that many people watching what you're writing on Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. You have to be professional at all times in this job. Um, you have relationships with both clubs, relationships with club, the clubs in Manchester all around the country. And if people thought you were one-eyed or biased against them or whatever, I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe you could, you could. You could get on. Um, so all the people in the na- in the national, the national press, you know, they they are there because they, they know how to be impartial. They know how to they know how to report sensibly, accurately. Of course, you know, we're all football fans. We've all got our teams, but we're there to do a job first and foremost, and that's the that's the main thing. I mm. I know I know some people listening to this will probably disagree with me and. And think you know you are biased against my team, or you are sort of more in favour of another team. But honestly, I I I can say it with my hand on my heart, I'm I'm absolutely impartial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think you know and that's that's coming. Mean, it, it, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because of course, like, like you say, we all have biases at some level inside of us. But to be, you know, it's it's important to be professional. And I think that's, that that comes back to the other thing as well about you know accuracy. Was just that having that professionalism and having integrity and not letting other things come into it, and I think that's yeah, that's really really important. And they're, they're, yeah, the best journalists, football journalists, are the ones that do that. For sure, and you can tell yeah. they do that. And as I say, you're one of the ones that I, I generally um, see that with. So I wouldn't have known from your from from what I've read of your work that that you were. A Liverpool fan, so, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's um, that, that's compliment, I suppose. Okay, so I mean, what's I mean, what's the best game that you've covered? You've probably covered. I don't know how many games you've covered, but how many games? What's the best game 
football match you covered in terms of I don't know just the whole experience and the game and the football that was played. Yeah. <laughs> How long have we got? Um, one of the ones that gave me um, one of the ones that really sticks in my mind was the Manchester derby in two thousand and two. It was a city. It was a, it was a Saturday Saturday lunchtime, and City won three one. City beat United three one. Wow. And the thing, the thing that uh, that I, 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 the reason I picked that one is because it was the first time I'd been given the um, the opportunity to write the, the main match report on Man City. Um, Chris Bailey, who I was uh, I was number two, couldn't I couldn't I think he was he was off he was unwell, and I had to do the um, I had to do the report at the last minute and to be involved in that occasion. And Main Road was such a, a, an amazing. Mm. And then, you know, a proper old stadium, all the history in that day. I can remember it just being alive when um, when Sean Gota knocked the ball past Fabian Bartes. And I remember Ayal Berkovic being absolutely outstanding that day. And I think I think the thing about that game that was noticeable for City was they, did, they, yeah, they didn't have an English player in the starting lineup, and people were wondering how they, they would cope with with um, United and whether they'd actually get the the importance of what was at stake that day and yeah because they'd not long that was it they'd, they'd just come out of the um, championship under Kevin Keegan and right. it was a yeah. real real big yeah. test for them and um, my goodness they passed it that day I mean what, what it was it was brilliant it was it was you know as he, I was only 24 then and to have the responsibility right now that the match report for, for the Monday was I think I stayed up most of the Saturday night trying to get the Saturday night into Sunday morning trying to get the right words and probably I probably didn't but you know it was it was it was fantastic as a as a young lad to do and more recently Liverpool Barcelona is going to take some some stop uh, yeah. some for the drama I mean you can talk about the the the, the second leg when they they overhauled it but the first leg was just as spectacular because Messi and Suarez that night were just a joy. It was a privilege to sort of see Messi at close quarters and the, the free kick when there was people standing at the out of the seats when he hit, when he hit that because it was just the sort of uh, the whole stadium was up and the slow hand clapping beforehand. Everybody knew what he was going to try and do. Yeah, and for him to do it in the last minute, it was just it was just sensational. What what a what an experience that was in terms of Everton. I'll never forget the FA Cup semi-final in, in, in 2009 and the penalty shootout and the the noise of when the said um, cars came on and the, and the stadium and how desperate everybody was to be, how every Evertonian that day was, was so desperate to be a, a, in the FA Cup final and the, the, the nerves of the penalty shootout. Oh, it was just, again, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm giving you a couple of examples there of, the reason why I wanted to, to be a reporter when you're involved in something like that is, you know, you're writing about the things, you're, you're, you're chronicling history and you know the following day that everybody's still going to be on a high and want to read what's gone on. Yeah, absolutely. It must be such a buzz. And all of those games are great games. I remember all of them. Yeah, I do remember that Manchester derby. That was, um, they just got promoted. There was a big buzz around Man City back then because of Kevin Keegan. And yeah, introduced that buzz around teams. Yeah, it was a kind of it was a big challenge. I remember. And then yeah, well, he he was uh, he was uh, it was amazing to be sort of working with him 
Yeah. Again, as I said, as, as it, you know, you, you used to see him every Friday at his press conference, and he'd come in and he'd, he'd, he'd still have his tracksuit on, like he looked like he'd been training himself. Like he, he when I say training, um, he wasn't overseeing it. He wanted to be involved in with, with, with playing football all the time. He was just such an infectious character, and you always knew as well turning up that he was going to give you some some great quotes for the for the following day's paper. You know what a yeah what a person he was and what a um, what a career he had as a, as a player and it, it, it was you know sort of um, privilege to be with him yeah absolutely must be yeah yeah I mean I think yeah I mean I'm not sports with any of these clubs but Kevin Keegan I, yeah I remember I just I'm really at Newcastle as well yeah he just seems to bring energy wherever he goes you know there's that enthusiasm and passion and just genuine love for football that he you, you could just see it in him, and even just sitting on the touchline, you could tell. Um, yeah, he cared about the game. Yeah, yeah. He, well, he, that's that, and that's how he was. You know, just the, he, he was. He, he wasn't someone that sort of um, took you into his confidence. You, you, you knew there was a sort of um, hmm. there was a barrier. There was, you know, it wasn't. You were never on first name terms or or anything like that. Right. But the, we went on pre-season tour in two thousand and three. Because Trevor Sinclair had just signed for for City, that uh, he, he signed on the Monday when they were flying out to Denmark. Mm. And I love um, I love my horse racing. And that week we we stayed in um, Aarhus. There was one computer in the foyer of the hotel that we were staying in, and I was on the on the Friday afternoon. I was on the I was on the Racing Post website, and I was looking at the the horses for the following day. Next thing, I felt like somebody come up on my shoulder, and it was Kevin. Anyway, he stood with me for about 10 minutes and we went through the full King George field. Full King George field and he knew everything and he knew and every horse and we, we were sort of, no, that hasn't got a chance, that hasn't. Anyway, he, um, he, picked, he picked the winner out of Lamshaw. Lamshaw won it the following day. And, wow. um, but it was amazing sort of 10 minutes. No football, no nothing. It was just the, just, you know, sort of a sign either that he, he, he trusted you, you know, to be in this, you know, be like that. Um, he was just a, uh, it was, as I said, it was, you know, a privilege to to be in his company. Absolutely, fantastic! It's some great games, all of them you mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, and that's the thing is that you get to you get to see all these great players playing at their peak. And you know, no matter who you support, it's a privilege to watch those kind of those kind of players, like you know, like Messi, for example. It's you know, it's um, yeah, it's just it's great just to be there and to be able to report on it as well. It's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. So just going to turn to like football right now. What's going on? It like I think what we what we'll talk about. I think we'll talk about this season so far, and and also thoughts on like what's going to happen and um, how it's going to affect football and potentially the transfer market and everything as well. So I mean, what are your kind of thoughts on the season so far? To kind of when we stopped it a month ago. Yeah, it's it's. Do you know what? It's it's funny. Um, how the last month has kind of not distorted, but put a different sort of shade on on, on what I what I'd seen. Because at the moment, I just want um, everyone that I know, friends, family, everyone that I deal with, just to get out of this um, yeah. in the best possible possible way. I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of hard to um, marry the two together, if if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, at, at, at the minute, it's just you know the. I think everyone's thoughts are just, you know, how do we how do we get through this? And we we'll, we we'll only get through it by by staying together and helping one another. 
But beforehand, the Liverpool team that I'm, I'm covering now, I've I've not seen anything like them for at Anfield for for thirty years. I've I've heard all the arguments about it's a bad league and teams are in transition and one thing or another. The spirit that they've got, mm. the quality that they've got, is incredible. And if this season had reached its natural conclusion and finished in, in May, we would have been talking about one of the greatest champions of, of all time because the record before they finished of 27 wins, one draw and one defeat, is, is like, it's like PlayStation football. I, I, think, I think I've used that analogy before, but it's, it's like I see, my, I see my children go on, on their PlayStation and they, they win game after game after game and that's what... And Liverpool were doing it, and they were doing it, particularly in that spell. I think from when they when they beat Aston Villa at Villa Park in November mm. to when they got to Leicester on Boxing Night after winning the Club World Cup, they were they were untouchable. They were absolutely brilliant, and you were watching them knowing that they were going to win every every game, and it didn't matter who they were playing. They, I thought they were they were just they were that good. Yeah, they're definitely one of the best teams that I've seen. Uh, in the Premier League absolutely and some of the football they play but they it's not just the football that they play it's like you say the spirit that's how yeah. you know, I think for me that's how you can always tell who, who the champions are because they've yeah. got this unbelievable ability to come back from any adversity like you know they, yeah. they've been behind in quite a lot of games and then they've come back to win you know it's yeah. it's almost you feel like it's almost inevitable with, with yeah the, well you, you, know, you know because they've been so far clear and because it felt inevitable for quite a long time that they were they were going to win the league and people were saying about well there's not going to be that sort of um, outpouring of emotion where there's you know the, the one game in March or April that, that wins it you, you know what I mean when it's nip and tuck. yeah absolutely um, yeah. I, I think they won the league the night that they beat Aston Villa in November because I think City City dropped points that day I'm pretty sure they did yeah forgive me if I'm wrong but that whole thing that whole day of um, in the 87th minute and they, they've been like a, this this wave just washing up against Aston Villa all through the second half they never changed the way that they played they kept passing they kept going into the channels that they knew that they'd obviously worked on. They kept working hard and working hard. And when Andy Robertson scored, he looked over to the away end and the um, or the away section on the Trinity Road stand, and it was bedlam. And you looked at the clock and seen it was eighty-eight minutes, and you thought they're going to score again. They are the the way the sort of momentum that was behind them, and then. Yeah. And then obviously they got the free kick and they ended up going out for the corner and it comes in and Sadio Mane scored the header. But they, they, that sort of inevitability about that result came from because of the quality, but it was that sort of... When people talk about like defining moments, that was, I think that was it. That was just the, the one. But the way the, way the, the, way the supporters celebrated and, and everything and then followed it up the week after by beating that was it they, they won then and followed up by beating Man City the week later it was just such a huge a huge week um, um, and they really showed what they were about yeah yeah that's it and it's just been a joy to watch you know you know, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, I've got my own team in the Premier League but I thought I support but, but, as, but even then it's been fantastic to, to watch Liverpool be so consistent and perform such a high standard 
you know, to, to only lose, I think, was it one game they've lost? Yeah, one one game. But it's, it's, only, it's, only, it's only one game. Well, they've only lost two games since the beginning of last season in the Premier League. Which which just sort of highlights the consistency that they've got. You know, it's it's what they've done is no fluke. People, I know people try and denigrate the the quality of the Club World Cup, but they won the Club World Cup because they were the best in 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 Europe. And how they how they won the Champions League, you know, they were they beat they they, what they did against Barcelona to get there, then Tottenham in the final. You know the the, the doughty way that they, they they saw that final out and to, to win it, European Super Cup. You know the the, the serial winners, and the, the the league would be the the, the gloss on everything. Yeah, I think they'll continue to to, to win things after this. Um, whenever football resumes again, and we get back to um, the end of this season, hopefully if they finish the season and next season, they're going to continue because they've got that spirit. Um, and they've got the quality and they've got a great manager as well. Um, Jürgen Klopp is just a fantastic manager. I had the sense when he went there, I don't know, three or four years ago that he was going to do something special at Liverpool. He was given the chance to, to build something and he has. You know, he's got a great team. No, they, they are. It's, it's um, for, for supporters now, it's, um, it, it's, it's the time of the lives and I keep saying to my children when, when they're watching it is like you know try and remember this because it's not always going to be like this you know that's, that's the things there will be a point in the future when Liverpool aren't as good as what they are now and it'll be hard and they'll be they'll be off the pace because football goes in cycles you, you, you cannot win every year but I think it just makes it more important that when you do get good times you, you, you hold on to them and remember everything that you can Absolutely. I mean, I remember. I mean, as a Chelsea fan, I remember when we hadn't won. We hadn't won anything for twenty six years. Yeah. And then won the FA Cup in nineteen ninety seven, and it was just like it was the you know you might as well have won the Champions League for the one yeah. years because because when you haven't had anything for so long, then then you and then you win it. You make sure yeah. you save it every single moment. It was the same when you know we won the league two thousand and five after fifty years. You know, you you make sure you yeah. save every moment because you know you don't know when you get it back again. And Liverpool not won the league for 30 years, which is incredible, really, for a club of Liverpool's size and stature. So, yeah, make the most of it now, because you, know, you never know when it'll happen again. Exactly, exactly. I mean, it is really important to remember that, that, things are more, that this is more important than football. And yeah. People's health and safety and, um, and welfare is, is more important than anything else. Um, you know, and all the conversations that we're having uh, or in the context of that so I want to make yeah. that clear <laughs> you know, we're not I'm uh, not in any way and none of us I don't think would, would put football above people's welfare or health absolutely um, but um, I mean how do you think football will be affected in kind of the medium for long term by by this it's a really good question and a, and a, a very difficult one to answer I can't Personally, I, I I can't see anything being. I can't see anything happening before June or July. I just mm. I just can't see it at, at the moment. The the one thing that I'm I'm really sort of fascinated about or in, intrigued about is going forward in terms of when they're going to be when the governments are going to feel comfortable for 
when they say life to be as normal, like sort of crowds of fifty thousand going to football stadiums again. I mean, I I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that will happen this year, and I'm not saying that with it like you know with any info or anything. But I'm just you know you 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 see everything that's been said by Public Health England, and you're listening to the daily briefings and. This, this this thing is this this virus is with us for forevermore, isn't it? And, and until they find a vaccine for it and take the proper measures, then they're going to feel uh, very nervous. I think about people being those those type of mass gatherings. So I don't know. I I, I don't know how it's going to work out. I think I think it's going to be a very very sort of strange eighteen months. Yeah. Um. I I just don't. I don't see how stadiums are going to be fully functional as they as they were before before the the, the shutdown, mm. and it's obviously not going to make things the same. But I, I, wish, I wish I had a magic wand to make things better for everyone. You know, it's just you know, and for life to get back to normal. But it's I think it's we're, we're in for a real a real challenge. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, it's difficult to say how how it will affect things completely because we're not out of it yet so we're not you know i mean things are things are still very uncertain like especially no. when the season starts again we don't know when that'll be no but you know what you said you, you said before about you know you clarifying that um that we're not putting anybody's uh, putting football above anybody's lives of course not but i i don't think there's there's anything wrong with talking about football i don't think there's anything wrong with sort of speculating about when it's going to happen because as I think I said to you at the top football is the thing that provides escapism it provides joy it provides people with the opportunity to dream and get excited and have something have a diversion you know life's hard enough isn't it yeah and I know, I know all my mates my mates who are Evertonians and that sort of that, that buzz of meeting up on a Saturday afternoon at, at the match, do all those all those little traditions that you yeah. taken for granted. When you know when it does come round again, savour it so much more. And um, as I said, there is nothing wrong about talking talking because absolutely no. I just didn't. Yeah, um, it's just what you mentioned earlier. Like, you, know, you said like it's difficult to talk about football right now because of what's happening. But yeah, but um, but yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I mean. Yeah, football is. I mean, that's the sense I get. There's a sense of the football family, you know, um, people coming together, and uh, and I think, yeah, it makes you more grateful for what you what you had before. And yeah, certainly. I think I think we'll certainly see that when people do start coming back to grounds. Yeah, um, you know, in, in the, kind of the nature of the support and the way they get behind their team, and it'll be. I think, yeah, that 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 will be that could be a positive. Um, definitely. The other interesting aspect of of how this might affect football is is um, is the transfer market because of just because of the, the economics of of what's happening um, that's affecting the economy and also football not not happening for such a long time, which which is affecting which will affect clubs financially. And there's also that element of which I've seen around, um, especially on social media, of it kind of being a bit distasteful for clubs to spend £150 million on a footballer when the economy is in such a difficult state and we're struggling so much. I mean, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on that? I'm getting sort of um, quite frustrated with... I'm getting emails sent by 
certain bookmakers um, every every few days about um, Coutinho's going to Chelsea. Uh, you know, his odds are being cut on this such and such. I just I just find that those things at the moment really yeah this this tasteful. I, I, I just yeah. find it absolutely remarkable. They're trying to draw people into a market when you know Coutinho's agent's been saying that nothing, nothing's happening, nothing's happening at the minute. He was on Sky at the weekend. Keir Jabshin was saying, you know, until until this is over, we won't, we won't even be discussing anything. How will how will it play out? I, I don't know. I, I I would be surprised if there's if there's many like 60, 70 million transfers in the summer. I would be I would be amazed if that was the if, if that was the the case. I think um, I think a lot of clubs will be. Very circumspect. I think they'll be prudent in, in in what they're doing. It might not it might not be one of those windows where there's a where there's a flurry of business. Obviously, clubs still have a duty to uh, plan for the future. But I know Liverpool have, have stopped all um, talks about contract renewals and recruitment for the for the time being, given the uncertainty. I think Everton have taken their have uh, stepped back a bit as well, even though because I mean Everton are in a bit of a Different position to Liverpool in terms of the work they have to do to reshape their squad is is more you know it's, it's more more challenging. Everybody's everybody's aware of the, the world, and I would be surprised, as I said, if if you if you see those those telephone number transfers now, I, I, I would be surprised. That that that's probably been my thought as well. You know, it's, and you're right; it doesn't it just doesn't seem very tasteful to be gossiping about all that kind of thing. You know about well, the, like, well the, yeah, I mean, like, you know, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with the gossip because people, you know, people sort of gossip. What I was talking about, is, I find the um, the sort of the bookmaker angle of, of oh, trying to okay. yeah, drum, up, drum up a market when there's not there, and particularly drumming up a market when time when people are having financial challenges of their own. You know, on betting on a market that possibly couldn't come to fruition until September or something. I, I, I find that quite, uh, I find that distasteful. But, you know, people will talk about the futures. Oh, well. Jaden Sancho, Harry Kane, Pogba. It's, it's part of, it's part of the football patter, isn't it? It's, it's what fans do. Um, it is. I mean, that's why we, that's one of the reasons we have this podcast is to talk about transfers. You know, I mean, I remember last summer we did a load of episodes talking about the market and things Things changed every single day. There was so much going on. Yeah, because as you know, people are interested. In it. You know, people love. It. I mean, I always I always think about. There's a few golden. There's a few things that you need to think about, and you know, writing stories and what fans really want to know: who's fit, who are we signing, who are we play. They're the sort of they're, they're the sort of three. That's the holy trinity, isn't it? Who's fit, who are we play, who who we signing? You know, that's 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 all everybody really wants to know. It is. That that's really true. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that's true. I mean, I've, I've got I know a lot of football fans who I talk to often, and that's always what we talk about. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, it's it's an ongoing conversation. You know, so yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Let's just hope, like we said at the, at the start, you know, that that we get through this as quickly as we can and safely as we can, and healthy as we can, and then move back to hopefully getting back to football. Yeah, the good things that it that it brings to everyone, I think. Exactly, well. exactly. Okay, I'm going to end. Uh, I think we'll end on a kind of like, you know, what uh, you know, in all your kind of years of journalism, what's been your, I guess, your funniest 
strangers experiences. <laughs> right. Can I, give, can I give you? Can I give you two? One funny one, and like one sort of that I look back on. Um, okay. So, um, funniest one would have to be November two thousand thirteen. Liverpool had just played Fulham at Anfield. Right. They won four nil, and Luis Suarez had had. Um, it was it was in the middle of that season when Suarez was absolutely magical. Oh yeah, yeah. And Martin Yol, Martin Yol was Fulham's manager, and I think Yol had worked with him at Ajax, hadn't he? Yol Yol knew, knew him. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we were. Um, he he was speaking to the Monday papers. He'd done the stuff for the Sundays, and then he, it was our turn to speak to him. Anyway, um, Liverpool were in the process of remodelling their, their press room. Right. And we were in this temporary facility um, where there was uh, sponsors boards, you know, just very rudimentary put up or, or on plaques and whatever. Anyway, Martin Yoll, there was a crowd around him and I was I, I was one of the last getting there. But there was somebody in the, the huddle who I didn't recognise. And I was trying to ask him what publication he was from. And we were sort of having a, a, a disagreement under our breath to each other while Martin was speaking. Anyway, I tried to reshuffle my feet um, to, to, to hear, hear what he was saying. And I put my hand on what I thought was a very firm surface, and it wasn't. And I put my hand through this uh, advertising hoarding and then went straight through it. And I took down three, three advertising boards Knocked chairs everywhere. It honestly, I, the press room went up in absolute bulk. Everybody's laughing their heads off. <laughs> one, one, Tony Barrett, who used to work for the Times, sounded like he sounded like Mutley. He was wheezing that much that he couldn't laugh. Anyway, to, uh, Martin Yell's Martin Yell's repost to it was, "Who does he think he is, Tommy Cooper?" So, uh, <laughs> which 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 prompted even even more hilarity. So that that's probably the um, the funniest. The best experience I had was, again, at the Manchester Evening News in 2002. Um, I interviewed Sir Alex Ferguson after, um, wow. after, his, horse, after his horse, Rocket Gibraltar, had just won it, uh, its seventh Group 1. And I'd been trying to get... I, I was doing horse racing at the time um, at the MEN, and I'd been speaking to his press secretary, Dylore, all through the summer. Can I see, can I see the... Manager, no, no, no. He was on holiday, and he was away on pre-season. Anyway, he won the uh, the race at Longchamp on a, on a Sunday afternoon, and on the Monday, I got a call and said he'll see you tomorrow morning at eight o'clock at the cliff. Uh, sorry, at the Carrington, at Carrington. So I got there at quarter to eight. He was already there, and he came over and he said, um, "He said you've got ten minutes. You've got ten minutes, please." So I was like, "Fine, no problem." And it, very nervous. We were sat up on the on the veranda outside his office, and um, we were just talking. And he, he starts telling me this amazing story about when Rocky Gibraltar had won it. Um, well, he'd, he'd, he'd done this amazing gallop at Bally Doyle before it, it won the two thousand guineas, and he was he told this amazing story about. It. Anyway, um, I had my notes in front of me, and I asked him if he'd like to have horses with Michael Stout in Newmarket, and he looked at me and he said. He said, I, I've, had, I've had horses with Michael Stout. And I don't know why, but the name of the horse came to me. And I said, it won a Haydock, didn't it? It won a Maiden, the Haydock. And he looked at me and he said, Christ, he said, aye, aye. He said, I did it. He said, how did you know that? I said, I, I, said, I love me racing. Anyway, he got up. He was sat opposite me at this point. He got up. 
he came round the other side and he, he picked me, me, me notepad up and looked at the, the horses of his that I'd written down. And anyway, he ended up spending 45 minutes with me. And I could not hold him in any higher regard for how he treated me that day um, wow. and the experience. And we did a um, massive, in the, it was in the following Sundays, we had this paper called the Sunday Pink. And it ended up being the big interview, but it was uh, it was a privilege to privilege to be in his company for that long. And uh, you know, it's the, the experiences like that the the reason why I wanted to get into journalism. Yeah, what a privilege that that is to to meet Alex Ferguson. Crikey, yeah, the greatest, probably the greatest manager of all. Yeah, wow, that's a that's an incredible experience. Yeah, and I keep hearing that from people who've met Alex Ferguson of how he treats them and how he is with them. And it's, that's, that's, that's incredible. Uh, this has been a privilege for me. Uh, thank, <laughs> for, thank you for coming on and, and sharing so much. Some great No stuff. problem. Um, no problem. Th- thanks very much. For, thanks very much for listening to me, James. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, and I hope everyone listening, it's been enjoyable for you as well. And hope you all stay safe and uh, everyone take care. And we'll be back with another episode really soon.